Hello and welcome back to The Voice It podcast. Great stories about great people who've started a business and have turned it into a success. This is season two. So glad you're still listening. I'm your host, Annabelle Homer. And today you'll meet a very quick-witted, heavily tattooed Kiwi who dapples in wine. Colin McBride. He and his wife Jen Gardner run a small wine company called Adelina Wines, located in close proximity to the very well-known Windery Wines in the beautiful Clare Valley. Now, that gives you an idea where they are, but Colin has a story of his very own. I wanted to meet him because I haven't heard much about Adelina, and I also loved the sound of his other label, Some Young Punks. Are you intrigued? Well, I sure was. I sat down with him in his winery one chilly Monday morning. To be honest, I caught him on the back foot because he forgot I was coming, but I was determined to stay and get his story. He's an entertaining bloke, very humble, as you'll hear, and obviously very good at what he does. This is Colin's story. Uh, I'm a Kiwi. I was born in Auckland. Um, I grew up in New Zealand and a bit in the UK and I moved to Australia in 1998. Um, I came to study and I ended up meeting my now wife and I'm still here. So tell me about life in New Zealand. I mean, what was your family life like? Oh, just fairly normal, you know, beaten with a, a whip occasionally, <laughs> locked in a cupboard, <sighs> hessian bags underwater, that kind of thing. It's fairly simple, mundane stuff really. Um, no, you know, fairly classic um, Antipodean upbringing, really. And siblings? I have one sister, yeah. yeah. And did you grow up near vineyards? Um, not until later, like when I was um, near the end of high school. Uh, we grew, we moved to um, Waimaku, which is just north of Auckland, and there's vineyards around there. So, you know, I guess luminaries like uh, Kumia River. Um, so I knew of the industry and... Um, when I needed a job, I decided to apply to wineries. So, so tell me about what you were like as a kid. A recalcitrant. A recalcitrant. Well, tell me more. I was just a, um, oh, you know, like any teenage boy, a bit bullish and um, know-it-all and egotistical and probably just needed to pull my head in a bit. So drinking excessively and, and doing dumb stuff, like, you know, that was basically it. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I guess the norms of what rebellion is and, you know, nothing really out of, the, uh, out of the box or out of the ordinary was just... What did your parents do? Uh, my mum was... She'd worked at um, numerous different jobs and my father was an industrial chemist. Industrial chemist. So do you think genetically that's why you were so into science down the track or it's got oh, nothing not, to do with that? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, genetically you can look at it like that, the, you know, the, the norms of either left or right hemispherical thinking. But I, I guess that my I, I favoured scientific thinking over and above arts. So, are they all still over in New Zealand? Yes, they're both alive still, um, and they're both in New Zealand still. Yeah, <laughs> both alive. That's good. What about your sister? Yeah, she's she moved to the UK um, to the, the big OE when I moved to Australia, and she's back in New Zealand now. You wouldn't have seen them for a while. I can imagine with all this COVID business. No, I haven't been home for a number of years. In fact, I haven't. I don't get home very often at all. So, um, I think I've been home three times since '98. Is it just because you've been busy? Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few yeah. things on, but everyone's busy. I just like to complain about it more. 
I read somewhere that at 17 you got a tattoo, got kicked out of home and started working at a winery. Is that true? Yep. So why did you get kicked out of home? Um, because I got a tattoo. So I've, I've, I have a, a staunch Irish Catholic mother. So um, she took uh, – she wasn't favoured by the idea of tattoos and the culture around tattoos have changed quite considerably, I guess, over the past 25 years. Would you like to reveal to me, you know, what that t- tattoo was? Oh, yeah, it was a fighting Irish leprechaun. I'm trying to imagine what that looks like. <laughs> okay, what's the story behind that? Then? Well, I'm just being Irish. That's all my, with an Irish mother. But um, it's the emblem of Notre Dame University in the US as well, like if that harks back any memory. It was a rad tattoo. It was done by um, one of the kind of old guard tattooers from Australia, New Zealand, called Merv O'Connor on Karanga Heavy Road. That was Yeah, it was cool. So. And you've probably got more than one now. Yes. I've nearly a full suit. No, you started working at this winery at 17, thought it was better money than working at KFC. So yep. tell me about your first stint at a winery. What did you think? I hated it. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah, it was Silax in Auckland um, and Ivan Silak gave me a job. I'm not quite sure why, but he did um, and it was vintage so I, I got all the, the, the jobs that need to get done, um, like cleaning mould off calling pipes and that kind of thing like it was you know that was just that's what I did I pulled out a vineyard by myself with a train and a tractor um it was I, I, I was not a great I didn't have a great work ethic I wasn't a diligent worker you know I was I would have been a horrible employee um uh, but I you know I kind of persevered and thought that that would be this may be a a path that I'd like to go down in terms of you know studying so did you go well at school uh, not at high school no I wasn't I'm not particularly smart by any stretch of the imagination. And my, you know, my, what they call TER, what what, what's uh, entrance there these days? Oh, God, TER. Is it TER? Yeah, well, that was terrible. Um, but, you know, I was never classically gifted at school. Maybe, do you think you just didn't apply yourself? Because you obviously are intelligent down the track. <laughs> uh, possibly, yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe I wasn't, I didn't gear myself to think in a way that I could, you know, I, I didn't look at other options of learning, I think. It's a polite way of saying I was slow. (laughs) Your employer persevered with you. If you hated it so much and you didn't think much of it, you stuck in there because you wanted to, I guess, see where it took you. But why do you think your employer? Well, you know, I I left that job in, I reckon, December. So I decided to study and I moved to uh, Napier, which is down the coast in New Zealand. They were offering a course for the first time, correspondence. So they were doing, it's called, it's essentially a TAFE but they were doing a, a, like a co-joined correspondence course with Charles Sturt Wagger. So I enrolled for the first year of wine science there, and I sucked at that as well. Um, but why did you want to do that? Uh, well, look, I, I don't know. It was one of those things. It was the era where universities, well, tertiary education was being pushed, and I think my parents had always thought that I should go to university. So I was looking for a way to – I was looking for something to do at university, and this seemed like a – a fairly logical option, I guess. So you did that, you sucked at it. So what happened after that? Uh, I dropped out of first year, um, after first year rather, and I took another job at CJ Pask in Hawke's Bay. And Kate Radburn, the winemaker there, um, again, gave, they gave me a job. I'm not quite sure why they gave me the job, uh, but they did. And I worked vintage there and had a great experience. It was, you know, Kate was and still is a great mentor and a wonderful human. And, you know, I guess that's where things prospered really for me. So what side of it really prospered for you? What clicked for you there 
that you thought, yeah, I like this? I'm not sure what it was specifically. I just enjoyed myself, I think. I, I was given a bit more opportunity or a bit more responsibility or maybe one day I'll turn up to work on time. Um, yeah, exciting. So how long did you stay with, with that winery? I just, just did vintage there and then I went to the US, worked vintage there. That's pretty exciting. Just, you know, hop on a plane, go to the US. So you saved enough money to go to the US. Yeah. How did you know where to go over there? Bruce, who was the cellar master at Pasks, set me up with a winery in um, Oregon called Rex Hill. Um, Lynn Penarash was the winemaker then. And, yeah, again, I had a, a great time there and probably just a bit, again, young and bullish, maybe could have learned a bit more whilst I was there. But I had, had a really good time, met some wonderful people, went back to New Zealand. And the work that you did over in Oregon, is, was that mainly dog's body type stuff or were you given more, a lot more opportunity? The mainstay of what I've always done has been dog's body stuff. Like it's, you know, cleaning and cleaning, that, that kind of thing. It's, that's, that's the... That's where you have to start. Well, I, th- I think that's where it all is though as well. You know, ultimately even now, it's, that's my role. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's changed. No. It's all about winemaking. It's all about cleaning, making sure it's a sterile environment. <laughs> so I recently wrote it's 7% cleaning and 103% telling people you're a winemaker. But yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a nice experience too. So you remind me a lot of Marnie Roberts to the point where she, when I interviewed her, she was very much yeah, I wasn't sure this was wasn't what I was going to do. I wasn't particularly good at it. Wasn't ambitious. I just fell into it. I'm kind of getting the same kind of thing from you. It was like ah, it just happened. Wasn't particularly good at it, but you know, obviously worked out. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think humility is an important part of life as well, though. So you know, you know notwithstanding, I was given some fairly excellent opportunities through what I'd done you know so I'd, I was given a lot more responsibility in the US it was great and um, I was given a scholarship from PASCS to study in Australia so you know things have definitely fallen in my lap you know it's so I've been very very lucky with you know what I've done so. So you got a scholarship and that's how you ended up in Australia? Mm, back studying well, first year I went home to see my parents and went to, to PASCS to see them and Chris PASCS the owner of PASCS Winery said well, if you're at university, you should do honours. So, and then, so I did honours <clears throat> in fourth year um, as a function of Chris's suggestion. So, um, and then things kind of cascaded from there. So. so where did you end up at university? So I did um, anology at Adelaide, which is, a, yeah, I had a great time. It was a good, good course. I was, I was into it. Again, not a classically excellent student, but P's mean degrees. So I got through and... Uh, you you know, did a PhD on... Can you explain what the title was? Because I couldn't understand when I read it. Uh, evolution of wine yeast, essentially looking at um, evolving wine yeast uh, in a directed evolution system and then genetically classifying the differences. Okay, so in layman's terms, what does that mean? Um, we forced a yeast to ferment sugar and produce less ethanol and then looked at what the genetic response was compared to its parent. You sound pretty smart to me. Uh, I can do a PhD, most people can. So. Oh, no, they can't. No, they can't. You are very much um, very humble. And I think you were well described as extremely well educated. <laughs> That's what someone wrote about you. Extremely talented, I think it was, and extremely smart. So, yeah, no, it's it's there, black and white. It was on the internet, so it must be true. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> that's a missive that we should all follow, isn't it? <laughs> well, looking at uni and your time at Adelaide Uni, you met your now partner, Jenny Gardner, there. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Where did you meet? Jen was actually one of our demonstrators for Wine Micro in second year, and which, you know, that was our first meeting, really. 
And then when I did honours, she was finishing a PhD in the same lab. And so um, Vlad, who was my honours supervisor, he went on sabbatical and Jen pretty much kind of coerced me through honours. Um, and then, you know, we, we were mates for a long time then we started dating and, you know, got married, had a kid. Here we are now. So Jen studied micro at uni. Then she moved to Queensland. She did honours in Adelaide. She moved to Queensland and worked at UQ as an RA. And then she moved back to South Australia to be closer to her family in 98. And she was going to do a PhD, so she decided, because her parents, you know, dad bought this property in uh, 1986. She'd been up here so many times making wine with him and that kind of thing. She thought a wine background PhD would be more interesting than uh, she was doing medical research, like she was looking at sex determination genes. And when she was at UQ, she thought that, you know, something was a bit more familial related would be a nice tie. So Jen still works as a postdoctoral researcher at University of Adelaide. So you do a PhD generally to stay in the field of science. Like the, the application of what I did with my PhD v what I do day to day is negligible. Okay. Other than being able to use words like evolution and even, you know, that's on word of day toilet paper so everyone's fine with that. That structural path really isn't about agricultural, agriculture generally. And people that, there are a number of people that have done PhDs and work back into agriculture um, or other fields. But typically, that path is for academia. So when you did your PhD, what was your end goal? What did you want to do? Uh, just a learning process, really. It was, you know, the opportunity was there and three and a bit, it took me nearly four years to finish it, but it gave me an opportunity to, we could still run Adelina, I could still do the PhD. I got a, a, a classic way of looking at things in a different, with a different perspective, thinking about things, learning essentially. So when did you move up to the Clare Valley? I still only live here part-time. So I've been here since the end of 02. But yeah, so I'm here part-time for the week and then town part-time of the week. During vintage, I'm here all the time. Right. So what do you do down in Adelaide? Run the rest of the business. Right. So the marketing, that type of thing. Yeah, admin, that kind of stuff. And Jen, is she down there most of the time? Or yeah, because she's-, she's, she's, she's at Adelaide Uni uh, as a postdoc. She's got PhD students, all that kind of stuff, so... So Jen's parents were originally on this place. Let's describe to everyone where this place is. About five k south southeast township of Clare, so up Windery Road East. Um, across the road from Windery. Yep. How does it feel being right across the road from there? It's wonderful. They're wonderful people. Mm. Yeah. But it's it's a it's got such a great reputation, doesn't it? And we have such a terrible reputation. It's wonderful to balance that. <laughs> um, the Bradys have been. I can't describe how indebted we are to Tony and Lita Brady. They've been wonderful people to us, just in terms of sharing of knowledge as a small part of the community. I'd try my best not to be comparative with what, you know, Wendery are and do. Um, I know the soils around here relatively well, I'd say, um, and yet the, there are some similarities for sure. Um, it's inspiring looking at their wines, their vineyards and what, how they grow, um, and it gives us a good background or a, a it's a steadfast idea for us that we can work in a similar fashion, notwithstanding we have a no stage in our production cycle wanted to emulate or replicate what Wendery is. You know, it's such an iconic thing. And I think that would be just, it'd be the wrong thing to do mm. in the big scheme of things. So that's never been our, our direction. We're just, you know, very happy to be in an area which we think produces some amazing wines. So, so what did Jen's parents do? Um, on this place, did they have their own label or did they supply another winery? When Jen's dad bought the property in 86, the fruit went to a 
different people over the years. So Tim Adams had some of the fruit for a while. I think Peter Lehman bought the fruit for some time as well, you know, but probably prudent to remember that, you know, when this property was bought, it was the Vinepool scheme and properties weren't, like this was advertised as a property without vines on it, you know, because you couldn't, you couldn't give away properties with vines on them. It was, there was that, the situation was so poor, so dire. <clears throat> so when Will bought it, it only had the small Cabernet block, um, the Grenache and the Shiraz on it. So. Why did you and Jen decide to change direction when you came onto the place? Why did you want to start your own label? I guess Jen asked me if I could come and help because Jen and her dad were making wine for friends and family. And Jen's dad was a physiotherapist. Jen um, obviously classically trained in science and I'd you know, worked in wineries and had a winemaking degree, which meant that I knew nothing. The And she said, oh, you know, can you... Can you give us a hand in some direction? So that it kind of started like that, and then, you know, getting talking, and it's like, oh well, why don't we do this for ourselves and make a commercial release? And that's how Adelina was kind of born. Um, and why Adelina? Uh, that was a function of Jen and her dad. That's the name that they'd given the wines that they were making for friends and family. Like Jen's dad was a gregarious man, loved telling stories. He was an, an amazing human again, and uh, he grew up in the Riverlands, and he they had fabled stories of this Auntie Adelina as one of the migrant workers. It was a nice, it's a soft name, close to Adelaide, feminine. Those, all those things worked well for Jen and her dad, so that historically it's kind of a nice piece of the story for our very short tenure of what we're doing. You've been described as crafting a vibrant, authentic and sometimes unexpected wines. Sounds like you're, you're pushing the boundaries to a degree. Oh, what is that? I want to know, are you pushing the boundaries? What are you doing that's so different? No, there's, there's nothing really that new, you know. So then what do you do on this place? Like, you know, you obviously like to experiment and try new things. That would have to be a mandate for most people though, wouldn't it? Like, you know, you always try and do something new or learn something. I think that's, the, that's, a, that's progression in life that you continually learn. But in terms of what we do here, it's... It's relatively mundane. Like it's, it's fairly staid. It's fairly, if not, you know, these days we make kind of conservative styles of wine. You know, it's for me, wine is about um, a sense of place. You know, I, I want to make wines that look like where they come from. You know, so artifact of kind of extraneous fluff in the winery is not really our mo anymore. Like you know, years gone by. Yeah, we do lots of things like you know, grossly extended maceration and. Um, grossly blah blah blah. What was that? Grossly extended maceration. So leaving things on like fruit on skins for you know hundreds of days, that kind of thing. Um, wow. But these days, it's you know it's all fairly simple, and you know more of our time is spent outside in the vineyard because that's ultimately where the benefit's going to be. So it's not in the actual making of the wine; it's more in what you do out in the vineyard. That's where you put most of your effort into. Well, ultimately, the best way of looking at it for me, and rather fairly th- throwaway quip is you can put lipstick on a pig but it's still a pig if the, if the vineyard isn't performing you know if, if it's not at its best you're not going to be able to make it any better than it is our hope and intention is to keep working and learning about the vineyard and, and um, we work with growers that we really enjoy working with you know it's these are the the foibles of the industry but um as it comes down to within the winery uh, for me it's just just try and make good, clean wine, I guess. So what, how many growers are you working with and um, how many hectares of vineyards do you have? We only have six hectares here and we work with 
maybe four or five growers in Clare and the Adelaide Hills. And what do you specialise in? Is it mainly reds, whites, what varieties? Talking about myself generally is what I specialise in. Um, <laughs> uh, aren't, we, aren't we all good at specialising in that? <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not sure. It depends who you'd ask. Um, <laughs> I guess the the estate is all red, essentially. So that would be – the flagships would be red, but the most volume we make is Riesling. So the Riesling uh, mainly comes from here? From yeah, so, yeah, between Polish Hill and Waterville. So what do you source from the Adelaide Hills? Uh, Chardonnay. We used to get Nebbiolo um, and Barbera and Dolcetto, um, but unfortunately the the Hills fire in 2020 took out the Nebbiolo vineyard. So um, Anne and Michael Bowley's <clears throat> and Adam Lovey's lost the, the entire site. Uh, so it was a real tragedy for them. Like it, uh, They put nearly 35 years into that vineyard and... It was taken from them, so that's a that was a real loss for you know the community. Like mm. that was such a big resource for so many people, and and for them, you know, like that's the that's the sad thing. How are they going now? Um, yeah, they had a really tough year last year, so yeah. Are they back? Are they back doing what they love, or no. are they this? They're not going back. No. Oh. Yeah, it was just, and that's understandable as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Nebbiolo. Yeah, it's a Piemontese um, Piemontese variety, so north of Italy. Classically orange-coloured, rustic, tannic thing. So how long had they been growing? Um, Maybe all those plantings from 98. Um, uh, but they had other plantings from before, like Chardonnay from before that as well. They, they grew a number of different varieties, like, you know, Merlot, Pinot Grigio, Chardy, uh, Arnais, um, Tanat. Generally, I chose to chase Nebbiolo and, you know, these varieties from Piedmont because... Through our travels through, specifically Piedmont, kind of found that we were enamoured of them. And so when the opportunity to make them arose, you know, we kind of, we took that path. And it was like, it's that kind of, I guess, the ardent feature of like, we as these cards fall in front of you, like, you know, Nebbiolo arrived and then um, we got some the chance to make some Arnaise, which again is another variety of the same regions, you know, so we kind of followed that bent. That's how that, that kind of arose. It hasn't been really about chasing the, the point of difference like we're not very shrewd when it comes to marketing and marketability everything has really been done over the years between the three brands purely out of selfish endeavor so how old are the vineyards here in your six hectare block yeah so the in between like 1915 and last year is the last planning that we put in so yeah the estate shiraz is yeah about 1915 1940s for the grenache the field blend was cabernet planted in 1976 which we grafted across about six years ago to a randomised blend of different varieties. Um, and then we've got blocks three, seven, eight, nine, were all planted in 2012 and 13. Are you strictly organic? Yeah, certified organic here. Certified organic? Here for the vineyard. Like it's, that's a process that we follow ourselves routinely here. We work with the Smiths as well. They get some fruit from them in, in Polish Hill River and they're certified organic. And um, we've got a number of growers that are, are conventional as well. That's completely cool, like, you know, uh, what we do here is, you know, that's that's our our focus is organics, and it's a it has been for a number of years. And why? Why is that such a focus for you? I think it's a holistic way of looking at what's happening with the earth. And this isn't my statement. This is someone much wiser than I. In Australia, we have the oldest soils on the earth, so we should be doing everything we can to maintain structure and integrity, and uh, I guess sustainable production with them that we can. And I think that organics is a good way forward for that. And it's not just the idea of not using 
herbicides or pesticides. It's a much more, um, I guess, holistic view of it where you're looking at increasing diversity. You know, so biodiversity is important. You know, making sure that you've got as many opportunities for integrated pest management as you can have. All these kind of systematic approaches to try and increase the the livelihood of the ground, the you know the vitality. Have you noticed a change in the in the taste of the wine or anything like that because you've gone organic, or it doesn't th- work that way? I th- oh, it's, it's you get tunnel vision pretty quickly with your own wines, I think. And when you have a pretty crap palate like I do, it's easy to miss things. So, like I'd like to, I've noticed a a change in the way that things grow and what's growing in the vineyard over the past nine years for sure. And I think the wines are getting better for sure. I hope they are getting better, and I hope that as we keep going, hopefully for the next 20, 30 years, that they'll continue to get better as well. Um, Tell me about Some Young Punks, because that's another one of your labels that you've collaboratively working with other people on. Is that right? Yeah, no. So, Jen, um, Nick Burke and I went through uni together, and Nick was Ben Riggs's senior winemaker for ages. So, Jen, Nick and I were sitting around early, mid-2000s and thought it'd be great to have a bit of fun and make some wine together. And so we started Some Young Punks, and it was just a, a kind of a off-the-cuff idea of putting some wines together in some gaudy packaging and selling them to people that wanted to buy them. Is, is that the reason also you're trying to get a different demographic or target a different demographic oh no, with that? Once again, this is, there, there's been no market studies in anything we've done. It really has purely been a selfish endeavour. So the Punkistan came about because, you know, um, if you go back to 2005, packaging change has been epic over the past 16 years and it's been really cool to see there's some really what flies these days compared to what flew then is totally different so when we started punks we used pulp fiction novels as the labels and that was it was really garnered a bit of attention because it, it was quite different and then we you know over the years we had different illustrators whip up labels for us with kind of quirky backstories that kind of thing but yeah again it was that was things that we liked like the pulp fiction novel came uh, idea came from Nick who had collected pulp novels so he'd, I believe the polite way of putting it was that he collected ephemera he collected ephemera and um, even through uni like he'd had these novels on his coffee table so you know thinking beers you know would flick through these novels it was a familiar idea and it just was a natural progression yeah yeah there's been nothing calculated about it at all it's just been a on a whim how did the market respond to that I, I think it did it was yeah it was really quite interesting it was a a love-hate relationship for so many, you know, the, for as many emails as I'd get as people saying, I love this label, I'd get as many saying, this is sexist and it's misogynistic and, and, and like it's, and it's everyone's right to have their opinion and tell me about it because we put it in the marketplace. So, yeah, we've just done a complete refresh on that package though. So it's where we've got three new labels for that, illustrated by a Adelaide tattoo artist, Jake Foreman. Yeah. Where do you market your wine? Because you don't have a cellar door here. For us, we don't market the wine at all. Because that would mean I'd have to do some work, and I'm really not fond of that. So we've got distribution network throughout Australia, and you know a little bit export. Um, we've been with our national distributor for punks for 16 years, and they've looked after Adelina for the same time as well. So, but we're tiny. You know, we're not we're not a big player. We don't have a, we don't have the time, resources, or energy to to staff a cellar door. You have to roll with the punches, and so uh, we're very grateful for all the support we get locally, and understand that. Because people haven't heard of us, we can't be dismissive. You said you're only small, so how? What's your tonnage? You know, how much wine do you produce? We crush here up to a hundred ton between Adelina and Punks and Vine Mind um, on a given year, because we crush off site for a, for Punks. We don't crush that here. Anywhere between fifteen and twenty thousand cases. 
Vine Mind. Tell me about that brand. It was just a we had excess wine that didn't fit into the punks or Adelina ethos, and it was a bit more experimental in its approach of production. It all kind of fell about because so Jen was a big part of working in the winery until we had Freya, which kind of it made it much harder, you know, being a mum and working. And so it was the way things split up instead of being Adelina, it was Jen and Cole, it was just Cole because I was here most of the time. And, you know, I think Jen really enjoyed the impact of thinking about wine and, you know, the production side of it. And so the idea that was Vine Wine was going to give her an opportunity to step back into directing wine and giving her some responsibility in again. And because and, she, she yearned for it as well, you know, and ultimately she, she's an exceptional scientist and that's where, you know, her, she's very driven with her career at the university, but she really wanted to be back, you know, in charge of production as well. So Vine Wine gave her this kind of opportunity to direct some wine production and, you know, make a small bit of wine that was, you know, that was her responsibility. And so that's kind of how that fell out. So what is she producing? Uh, we do a Riesling. We've made Vermentino for a couple of years and uh, Shiraz Melbeck. Around here? or Yeah, it? yeah. so it's all local growers. And it's her baby. Yeah, essentially that's the best way of looking at it. Did you ever think that you'd be sitting here, say, think about yourself as a 17-year-old boy and where you are now. Did you ever imagine that this was going to be the road that you were going to take? I don't know. I, I, I really was so dismissive as a teenager you know it was it was there was really no foresight to what I was going to be doing it wasn't really a big thing to me I was quite happy to live week by week and you know whatever happened would happen so um notwithstanding you know it's very exciting to still be sitting here and you know plodding along making a bit of booze growing a vineyard it's it's a really nice lifestyle and you know as I said before I've been um, very fortunate I've been gifted some wonderful opportunities in my very short tenure on this earth and, um, you know, so I hope that I'll do the right thing and, and, and continue to keep working or forging forward diligently, I think. So So that's the, the aim. The aim is to continue to do this type of work right through to an old man. That's the idea. Well, I've got no other skill set, so, but yeah, I, you know, this is, this is all I know and I, I enjoy it, so yeah. it's not a bad lifestyle. What's been the major challenges? Money. <laughs> Keeping money. Keeping money. <laughs> Like I think everyone faces so many challenges in you know whatever position they're in, be it running their own business or working for someone. Or there's lots of them, I guess. I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't define one challenge. Everything. I was once told that if if it was if it was supposed to be easy, everyone would do it. So you know, I guess the challenges are are important to shape and build character. What was the most challenging year since two thousand and two? Oh seven, because it sucked. It was just a horrible vintage. We made some terrible wine. Oh nine was pretty hard when we had Freya because Freya was born on the fifth of March, which is vintage. That wasn't really that well planned. That was tiring. There's definitely been some ups and downs in there, and I think that, but that 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 sinusoidal part of life where you know the, we occasionally need those. The highs are great, and, and sometimes the lows are lower, and you need them to bring you back to reality. Sometimes. What are you most proud of out of everything that you've done? Oh, my family. I think. Yeah, you'd have to be the most proud of that, wouldn't you? It'd, it'd take a f- Fairly egotistical, egotistical people and say, "Oh, well, that's what I've built here." That's yeah, it'll be. You can that could be number two. I think that there'd be a big daylight between you know my family and whatever's next. I think their successes really are better than anything that I've achieved by myself. So, and without them, I've you know my my successes are negligible. So, 
And what's the next step for Adelina? Sleep. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> just keep keep growing grapes. Keep trying. Keep trying to sell wine. It's the market's hard out there. The Eastern Seaboard's been closed for a long time, so restaurants have been down, and so everyone's feeling it. So uh, the next thing is probably working together as a community. <laughs> Well, Cole, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and hearing your story. And thank you very much for taking the time out to have a chat to me today on The Voice of Podcast. Oh, not at all. Thanks very much for listening to me rabbit on. And uh, I'm terribly sorry I forgot that you were coming. Well, I wasn't going to let you tell me to come back at another time. I was determined to stay. Oh, I wouldn't have done that anyway. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. Colin McBride, so glad I hung around. Great story. I bet some of you never knew Adelina was right here in the Clare Valley. Now you do. If you enjoyed this episode, share it around. Don't forget to rate and review. Keeps me doing what I do. And if you know of a hidden gem that's doing great things with their business and has an interesting life story, let me know. I'm Annabelle Homer. I'll catch you soon for another episode of The Voice It Podcast.